Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Amy Williams, CEO of LA-based Citizens of Humanity Group, which owns the denim brands Citizens of Humanity, A Goldie, and Gold Sign. Citizens of Humanity has continued to evolve throughout its 20 years in business, most recently tackling regenerative agriculture in a big way. I wanted to ask Amy about the brand's sustainability innovations, including how they're being leveraged by brands beyond Citizens of Humanity Group. I also wanted to inquire about her highly denim-focused career. Are industry folks typically lifers, and is is this an LA thing? Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Jill, for having me. I've been a long-term fan, and this is really fun for me. Hearts. I'm so happy that you've listened, and I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Let's talk your career really quick. I want to talk about your, you've been around the denim world. I think, uh, lucky. Tell me, like, once you're in, are you in? I think so. I mean, I had the great fortune of starting at The Gap back in 1989 when we were still buying Levi's and the idea of Gap denim, and at least in the women's division, was new to the company. So yes, it's been a, what is that, 30 plus year uh, love affair with denim and jeans. Yes. Well, tell me about the LA denim landscape. I know, I mean, many iconic brands launched in LA and I know things have changed. Uh, manufacturing has gone elsewhere, sustainability practices, uh, it's become mandatory to be more sustainable. We know how wasteful denim can be, but yeah, what's happening in LA right now? Yeah, I think it's really interesting, actually. Over the years, um, I think the L.A. denim industry has really grown up in a lot of ways, while, of course, there are all of the well-known L.A. denim brands like Citizens and A. Goldie and Goldsign. There are also groups that are doing denim in Los Angeles from Europe, and, and YSL is a good example of that. I think the L.A. denim industry um, was started because the attention to detail in both manufacturing and laundering was superior to any location around the world. We are incredibly proud that we still produce uh, a fair amount of our product for Citizens of Humanity and A. Goldie in our own factory and our own laundry in Los Angeles uh, because we just we understand how the folks that make our product really are experts and artisans in their specific field. Right on. Well, what drew you to Citizens of Humanity? You've been you've been around a long time at the company. Yeah, I mean, I started here 14 years ago. So as we as we talked about, I spent about 14 years at the Gap as well, uh, growing up there really from 1989 to 2003. I had the opportunity to go over to Lucky Brand. So that's when I moved from New York to Los Angeles and had my first sort of taste of L.A. denim. That was a great uh, couple of years. It gave me the opportunity to run the P&L side of a business, moving from a product development and design-facing role. I ended up meeting my husband there. So, of course, that made it an even luckier place to be. And we (laughs) decided to move to Northern California at that time. Our daughters were born in 2009 And I had left Lucky Brand. I was doing consulting for The Gap again. And actually, we were starting our own company and business. Um, And the folks, you know, from Citizens of Humanity had called and 
frankly, the sort of funny story was Gary Friedman, who was one of the founders of the company with Jerome DeHaan, had called. And I immediately assumed it was Gary Friedman from Restoration Hardware. And I wasn't interested for a variety of reasons, uh, probably most of all that denim was in my blood. And after, he's pretty persistent. So after a couple more phone calls, I finally took a call in a meeting that was supposed to be 45 minutes and I think ended up going for three or four hours. And what drew me to the company really was, number one, um, I think Gary. He was and is incredibly smart, very, very thoughtful and disciplined, and we'll touch on that. And at the same time, I believed that Citizens of Humanity as a brand was well-known but hadn't really leaned into its potential. So this was 2009, early internet days. And when I went online, I saw pictures of product that I didn't think was really quite relevant or uh, inspiring to a consumer who might want to know more about the brand. Um, But really, a, a lot of it was like the unrecognized potential of the idea that denim could be the mainstay of a modern day wardrobe and the discipline that Gary brought, which I think about as like sort of the most fundamental sustainable practices that everyone in apparel should follow was really about not overselling, not producing too much, working with accounts when they passed bys to trim them back and be equally as focused on the quality of the product and the quality of the business operations. And that reminded me of my early days at The Gap and really excited me and drew me to the company. Absolutely. So the thoughtfulness, the discipline, that was already around, um, in part, mm-hmm. sustainability. You were already talking about it then. Yes, I feel like it's become such a buzzy topic, but and con- more consumers are caring. But go ahead. Yeah, I think, you know, we didn't use the word, right? We didn't say, oh, we want to have, but he used to say, I'd rather be around forever then have this incredible sales growth and then have it fall off a cliff. I feel, he would say, a responsibility to the team members that work here, that we're going to employ them forever. So I don't think the term was used, but certainly it was in his mind and in the mind of the team members that were there uh, through a business lens. Yes. And when you joined the company, was it just the Citizens of Humanity brand? It wasn't yes yet group and a house of brands. Tell me about that evolution. Yeah. So the, at the time, Citizens of Humanity, when I joined, it was Citizens of Humanity. Goldsign was a part of the company, uh, but had a very different a- a- aesthetic and look. It had been part of an arrangement when Adriano Goldschmidt joined the company and 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 brought that label with him. Um, so the company was focused on citizens primarily, women's. He was managing the design for the men's uh, group. And I would say, well, actually, I should know because this is our 10-year A-Goldie anniversary, which is hard to believe, actually. So a couple years into our work and at a time that we felt like citizens was evolving in the direction that we all wanted it to go. We, in in talking with um, some of our retail partners, and I think my own experience at the Gap, where we had Gap and then Old Navy was birthed and Banana Republic was reimagined, I always felt like the team had the capacity 
to bring more brands to market because we have this denim know-how that I do believe, frankly, is superior to anyone's in the market. And um, it was exciting to think about two different brands and brands that had very different sort of DNA and aesthetics and, and frankly covering, like we always think, you know, probably egotistically, like, why would you need anything else? You have these two, they look very different. Gold sign is a very different look. So I don't include it in that comparison. Um, so that really excited us and motivated us. And that was the birth of um, a Goldie. Initially, our idea um, was a little bit more price point focused, um, knowing that premium denim had become more and more expensive and might be difficult for a younger consumer to participate in. But after about a year and a half, we took a giant step back and said, you know, price is never the reason people engage with a brand, in our opinion. Or perhaps they do, and it wasn't what we could do best and bring to the market. And so that's when we evolved it to a very different aesthetic and one that we're excited about. Yes. Well, tell me about the main differences. Is it in marketing? Is it in the quality, the details? Um, yeah. What, what would somebody notice examining the two worlds? I think it's really the aesthetic. I think a Goldie is for someone who is a bit more fashion forward, who wants to be a little bit more seen, let's say. And I think Citizens is for someone who is more quietly sophisticated and a little bit more subtle in their style choices. Most what we find over time is almost all of our accounts by both brands and most of the consumers that we talk to actually buy both, but they wear them at different times in their day or um, it, you know, when they have different moods. You had you know, Amy from Tibion, and she talks a lot about that. Like, none of us are one thing. Um, I have twin daughters, and people always ask me to compare them to each other, and you just can't. Um, right. But I think that it really is about style. It, the A. Goldie brand is a little bit more rooted, rooted in like the 80s and 90s, sort of London meets New York and LA. And we think of citizens as like Paris, because of the founder and of a French chicness and French style meeting um, LA, but not the streets of LA, probably more like Malibu and Brentwood and um, the West yes. side of LA. So it's, it's for us, it's more about the distinction in aesthetic. I think quality, uh, we do make our product primarily for a Goldie in our factory in Turkey. Um, but the, the, the quality of what we do is, is the same. Nice. That seems more accurate. I was going to ask because I'm living in St. Louis these days. I'm like, so, and I'm bouncing to New York all the mm -hmm. time. I was like, I bet A. Goldie is more New York. Maybe Citizens is more, would be more popular here, but LA, it seems more accurate. <laughs> Tell me about how, how your, I guess, sales, your, your sales, your distribution, um, does it reflect, um, is it more heavily weighted in certain areas of the country for certain brands? I would think. It's actually not. That's the thing that's really interesting. I think Citizens, under the direction of Marianne Gallagher, the, our creative director, has really gone through a, a, a fantastic evolution. She joined the company uh, just a couple of years ago. COVID, as it affected everyone in more serious ways, definitely affected the rollout and the evolution of, of her work and the design director's work. But um, long story short, both brands do incredibly well in and across the United States and Canada. We also manage our own distribution and sales all throughout Europe, um, in Japan, the Middle East, et cetera. 
And both brands, I'm, I'm happy to report, are doing and have been doing incredibly well over the last couple of years. We've expanded categories. We offer more than just denim. Um, and we we do what makes sense for each of the brands. But we're excited about continued growth, but with the same partner group and the same account base that we have. Fantastic. Tell me about, um, is there a move, intentional move to more direct sales? Or are you working with maybe... Um, a large pool of wholesale partners, retail partners, and that makes sense for you. Yeah, we've actually always sort of thought about um, being wholesale-led and wholesale-first uh, because we think very highly of the wholesale partnerships we have. So everyone from net porte to Bloomingdale's and specialty stores like Stanley Korshak, Holt Renfrew, I was on a call with yesterday. So we're really proud of the retail partnerships, and some of them are retailers that we have, and we know that they do a lot of things well that we couldn't do. We know that we can bring, I think like any good relationship, when you know what you're good at and you can find people who are good at other things, that's when the best sort of partnerships are formed. So we get excited about leaning into EIP programs with folks or in-store shops and things of that nature. At the same time, we know that customers want to see the full range of our products. And when you go to even our e-tail partners, you see a very small selection of what we offer. So our e-com business, which is full price all the time, there are no discounts if you sign up for our newsletters, is the place that customers can go to see the full range of products for both men's and women's. We have one store for citizens in Aspen. Um, we'll have more news to share on the retail front, but we're not, we don't have a retail strategy and we don't buy customers through social media, you know, marketing um, purchases. We want people to find us organically and we, we do that through a variety of relationship types. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Before we get to in the weeds, I have to ask our your retailers. Tell me about the state of skinny jeans. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's like, I think really like what we're seeing is we, we saw a lot of um, excitement last year and probably the year prior on fuller leg shapes, whether it was the horseshoe jean from Citizen and the barrel leg silhouette or the low rise baggy from A. Goldie, which Rihanna wears also, right? So we definitely saw a move towards those kinds of silhouettes. Now we're seeing um, what I would say is continued success in those types of things, but a lot of excitement around straighter leg fits. And it can be straighter like skimming the leg, right? Not skinny. And then it can also be straighter on a little bit of a wider um, leg shape. And people are buying a variety of leg shapes um, for, I would say, probably like the first time in a couple of years. Um, which is fun. You have a wardrobe of products, right? And I think a lot of times your the shape that you choose for your jeans or your bottom sort of dictates the rest of what you put together. Um, and a lot of times people get dressed first thinking, what do I what jeans do I want to wear today? For sure. I know you have some beautiful um like spring campaigns rolling out. Yeah. Um, and I know this is also um spring is a big moment, and I do want to get into the uh regenerative agriculture, which a lot of people don't even know what it is. Um, Tell me about, this is a big, big project and talking about the partners that you're working with. It's awesome to me that you are also um, making your 
innovations, um, a resource for other brands. But tell me what's going on. I know it's complicated. Yeah, so let me try and keep it simple. So we, a couple of years ago, because we own our own manufacturing, we've always looked into things like water recycling, reduction of chemical usage for laundering, and all of those kinds of things. We had made the decision to move a lot of our cotton sourcing to organic cotton, thinking that was the best sustainable choice. One of our thoughtful mill partners drew our attention to regenerative agriculture and the differences. And so in the simplest terms, what we think about, and I'm a visual person, is organic farming is very much about what you can't do or can't use. Regenerative farming is all about regenerating the soil and making sure that for years to come, that soil will produce nutritional foods, more harvests, and can be, much like our business example, farmed for multiple generations to come. What happens over time with organic farming, and this is where the visual comes in, organic farms can leave farmland somewhat barren and like dust and dirt, whereas a regenerative farm, and over time, in a short amount of time, a regenerative farm will almost look like a brownie. So you can think about holding in your hand dust, or you can think about this rich soil with biodiversity and all of the other components of it. There are some basic practices that those who are um, leaning into regenerative farming use. And then we, in our program, um, have you know certain criteria and certain things that we do as a company, including most importantly, ensuring to these farmers that we will purchase the cotton and we purchase it for premium and we cover other transitional costs for them. Um, and we're, we really are, we're excited about the program. We're excited about how many folks are starting to think about and talk about regenerative as an important climate change and people-facing solution, um, including in the food industry. So I think oftentimes organic became, I think, more of a focus in apparel because it was so much a part of our food industry conversation, and we're excited about the same thing for regenerative. Yes. Well, I'll be talking about it <laughs> across industries. That opened my eyes. That helped um, spell it out for me. Um, and circularity is something totally different. Is is recycling part of um, your sustainability initiative, initiatives as well? Yeah. So we actually participate in recycling. Some of our products have recycled cotton in them. So we use in our turkey factory, we recycle all of the pre-consumer excess. So, you know, when we're on the cutting floor, it gets scooped up and brought back to the mill and it's recycled into products for us or other people. And then in addition, any of our seconds, we either donate them because as finished goods, they're more valuable to people who are in need, whether it's economic or UNHCR. So we donate our finished goods because we've looked at a footprint, our, our, our seconds, we've looked at the carbon footprint and recycling, and that's actually much more beneficial. Um, so that's how we think about recycling. I would also say from day one, and, and we think about this all the time, we really try not to overproduce. So we don't have sales goals for the company. We don't think about producing X amount, which would then become excess either for the retailer or ourselves. Um, so that's a main area of focus for us also. 
That's great. I mean, some of the things that you're telling me, I would think that they served you well during the height of the pandemic. You don't have a large store footprint um, at all, and you're not overproducing. And yet, there was the move from, quote unquote, hard pants. (laughs) What can you tell me about about your experience during those couple of years, maybe 2020 to 2022? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's hard to believe it was only four years ago. Um, I think the first thing we worried about really was the team. We have a lot of team members who are part of our factory group. And so to not know what the future looked like for that team was really difficult. Um, uh, The creative director of the company who works on branding and marketing had a brilliant idea when he saw so many folks in California specifically asking about masks. So we I think we shut down on March 20th and on March 22nd, we were making masks in the factory. So that allowed those team members to stay um, working and, and feeling really productive. And we made those masks available to everyone from like the California park system to doctors in Los Angeles. And it felt like very purposeful work. Alongside of that, getting very little sleep, a group of us also just said to our accounts, Everything you have on order, you don't need to take. We will figure out when and how to get through this. What we found when we were allowed to start shipping again was that there was a tremendous demand for casual clothing, in particular shorts, because people, as they like return to work and perhaps were on Zoom or at home, what they wore on the top was perhaps something a little bit more pulled together, but they were wearing shorts in and around like every aspect of their life during those months um, and so forth. So we also like our denim is actually quite comfortable. So the skinny jean trend had moved on a bit and a lot of what people leaned into were those categories. And so we had, frankly, a very, very strong um, year and sales trajectory from that base. Where we ran into a little bit more of a challenge was Last year in the first quarter, some of the stores um, and and us, right, were so optimistic about the sales trend that they saw that the inventory levels for them corporately started to grow. And so our upfront orders last year for Q1 were dramatically different than the year prior where we had been, you know, kind of leaning into all of that casual. So the first half of or the first quarter of last year looked different for us, but by the second quarter and beyond, the business trajectory was so strong and our products were selling so well for both brands that we ended up having quite a strong year and we're seeing very, very strong selling in Q1 and beyond this year. Great news. Well, you mentioned the word comfort and I know um, your spring collections are the first that are leveraging your regenerative agriculture um, push. Um, so I got to know, like for spring, like what is the messaging in your marketing? Are you talking about comfort? Or are you talking about uh, sustainability? What are what what's the messaging? What's what's working to acquire customers? What are people excited about? Yeah, I think two things. I mean, I think first and foremost, we lead with like a style message, right? So we lead with, and we believe that we can now outfit people from head to toe in every category. So my shirt, right? We 
do woven shirting, we do non-denim um, bottoms and things of that nature. So we love a the two-piece kind of look. We think like the easiest way to get dressed in the morning is wear two things that match each other but are cool and effortless. So in a goldie, that might be like a trouser denim shape with a matching denim shirt. In citizens, it might be non-denim tops and bottoms or a more dramatic leg shape like the Ala jean or the horseshoe jean is still quite strong. So to answer your question, spring is a lot about sort of like head to toe dressing um, and that like sort of ease and sophistication of getting yourself pulled together wherever you want to go. Um, we are seeing a lot of interest in straighter like denim shapes and those are performing really, really well. And then the second piece of it and more in a let's be good citizens of humanity, The for the first time ever, we actually wor- are working with someone for more of like probably a traditional campaign, Shalom Harlow, who, um, again, our creative director has long admired and respected because of her early um, thinking and and thought leadership in regenerative and sustainable people and planet practices. So she is part of uh, our campaign, for lack of a better word, an educational series around regenerative. And I think that's gotten a lot of attention because of her participation, along with the quality of the program. So smart. Talk about iconic. Um, Yeah, (laughs) talk about 90s. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Tell me about the company you're overseeing. Are the brands um, sharing resources, whether that's marketing folks or, um, yeah, How, how does it work? We're a super small team. So there are about a thousand people that work for the company. But again, the vast majority of those are in the factories that we own or our laundry. So we have a, you know, very um, collaborative, very, I think, high performing group of folks that genuinely enjoy working together. Um, Super, super low ego, but a lot of tenured experience either at denim companies or global apparel brands. And I think that group coming together, truly wanting to be collaborative, envisioning something that's beyond what we've already put out on the on the market and the shelf is what gets us all excited all of the time. Um, so we share resources to answer your question. We have a couple of people who are dedicated. It's probably about eight or nine across design and product development for each brand that would work on a Goldie, women's and men's, and any special projects. And they also work on Gold Sign. And then the same size group works on Citizens of Humanity, women's and men's. And then for the most part, everyone else works on all the brands. Okay, great. That makes great sense. You mentioned the business is going very well right now. Tell everyone, like the state... The, who owns the company? What's happening in, in that, yeah, ownership, investment, all the things? Yeah, so we're privately held. Um, we did a management buyout either six or seven years ago. I've lost track. Um, at that point, Jerome Dahan, who had been still involved in the creative for citizens, but was not working full time, retired. Um, and so the group that had been running the company for I think the six years prior to that, stepped in and said, we feel like this is the best step forward. We, prior to that, had had a private equity partner, and they were the majority um, 
partner at one point and then minority. And we were the last in a fund that they had held for 11 years. So it was time for them. We, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the group that we were with, uh, Berkshire Partners out of Boston. But we decided at the time when we went through a process, um, while there were a number of very interested parties, we wanted to be in a position because we saw so much growth and we saw a quality of a business operation that we wanted to maintain. We felt like we were the ones um, that were best equipped to do that. And we had the great fortune of having a private individual who knew the company well, knew Gary quite well, um, who said, I would like to do this with you. And sometimes I think for you, um, because he's that generous of heart. Um, And so that's really what I think has allowed us to make a lot of the thoughtful decisions that we make and has allowed us to take on projects like this regenerative project and not just talk about it, but actually get it done and and lean into that work regardless of what it would take. So we feel really fortunate. The business has more than doubled, you know, since that time. Um, and our bottom line profit is, um, you know, something that we, again, we always think, and, and I've heard this from other people that you've had on, we really think about top line and bottom line in tandem. We're, we're not a group that likes to say like, you know, at a cocktail party, like our business is X size, and then it's like falling apart, you know, under the covers. So we feel really, we feel really optimistic about the future and grateful, frankly, for that transition, that elegant transition a couple years ago. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That state of ownership, such a difference maker. That's great. Um, Is there anything that's weighing on your mind right now? Anything that's challenging you? Um, I mean, just for first half of the year. I mean, from a business standpoint, I would say no. I mean, we just, we have a list of things that we know we want to do well, right? Like we know we want to show up better at retail in terms of like our product presentations within our retail partners. Like there's always a list of things that we say, okay, like this is what we're going to work on next. And we feel good about that. And at the same time, that's exciting because there's continued opportunity and potential. Um, I think you know, what weighs on me is the greater world affairs. I think it's just, um, it's obviously heavy and there are things around the world and closer to home that um, I think are really tricky. And I think one has to think about that and how it affects people who work at the company, right? Um, Because there's a sense of um, warrior or, or insecurity for people that didn't exist in the years that I was at the Gap or Lucky, right? Like we were so focused yes. on our little world and that's not the case. So I think we have to be as leaders mindful of where people are and what's going on in the world and how that might affect them or what might be happening for them closer to home um, yes. and be supportive in ways that we we can. Absolutely. I mean, time flies when you're having fun. Last question for me, <laughs> but what are you excited for this year? What can we expect? I'm excited to continue to build some of these new categories. I'm really excited and proud of the rollout. Like 
this regenerative cotton project has been more than two years in the making. And to see now a broad range of products roll in to our warehouse, like each day, more and more of them using this cotton is super, super excited, exciting. So I'm, I'm excited about the positive reception to the work, both, you know, we, when we had an early call with Netaporte like a year ago, they were like, oh my God, can we introduce you to 20 other brands that we work with? We don't want to buy new brands that are just, or sustainable. We want our existing brands, which drive so much of our business. So that excites me. I think it excites me to think about like, you know, as a mother, I always think in ages. So I feel like we're 20 years old for citizens and 10 years old for a Goldie, but we're sort of like five or six years old, right? Like I feel like we're going to kindergarten, like we're growing up and the <laughs> the opportunity to build these other classifications um, and full experiences for the brand, I think has, uh, it, there's a lot of excitement and a lot of potential. And I, I love, personally, I love building brands or reimagining brands. Yes. Amy, this is such a valuable conversation. I keep thinking we need to do more with you. This is so informative. I learned a lot about sustainability, all the things. Um, thank you for being here. So enjoyable. Yeah, it was so much fun for me. And I, I, as we talk and your questions, like they prompt different thoughts and ideas. So we would love that also. Thank We're doing it. Yeah, thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Thank you so much. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.